open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have with us Phil Champagne. He's the compiler of the Book of Satoshi. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Well, thank you, Trace. Uh, how did you get into Bitcoin and like, what is this book of Satoshi? So how did I came up with Bitcoin? Well, just like pretty much a lot of people, the first time I've heard about it and it was my conversation over a phone call with my uh, cousin who was telling me about it. Or in the first 10 seconds after he's talking, I says, what? <laughs> I was dismissing this thing. I was, uh, it was like a community paper money would be the equivalent, but just for the internet, you know. But then I started uh, reading a little bit more about it, and wow, and I really got interested in intrigue, and uh, the interest grew and grew, and decided to uh, to learn it from well the first person to teach about it, which was Satoshi himself. So I uh, wanted to read his white paper, and uh, even though I have a background in software engineering, uh, I. Seemed like a little bit daunting at first. As gosh, okay, I'm gonna read this, but you no, know, actually, it was readable, very well written, so it was nice. But also, I wanted to uh, get a little bit more uh, information from him. I was curious of him to advance that, um, and so I d decided to go through all the posting that he's done. And I realized actually it was not that easy to do, you know, the way they are crafted and not, you end up in somewhere and then they have to get the context of the conversation where and what context he's answering. Sometimes it's feasible, sometimes it's not as much. And that gave me the idea, I guess this is so much a uh, milestone that uh, it, all of that is going to be really critical. And even more, I mean, the idea for the book might not be as much as important if he was still around and we, uh, just like Linus Torvald. If, for example, uh, Linus Torvald was only in the first two years of Linux and then went off, uh, the historical context of the teaching of this guy talking about it will have been a little bit more important than uh, if it was just uh, if he has actually just briefly stayed there. You know, the intrigue is a little bit added to the fact that uh, Satoshi is gone after two years. That uh, to get well, I want to. I mean, I, all the information I'm getting about Bitcoin is always from other people than the creator. So the only way to get it is really through. Uh, the only post that he's done. Yeah, go to go to the source material because yeah. he did make a lot of posts on the BitcoinTalk.org, yeah. which are supporting. And, but there, it's kind of hard to find them, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to go there. Yeah. So you've compiled them all. It's in this book of Satoshi, available on Amazon.com and lots of other places. Uh, two of the main topics in here, uh, you know, is what I think we'll discuss. Page sixty-nine. We have a response on 13th of November 2008 and it looks like Satoshi responded 
The proof-of-work chain is a solution to the Byzantine general's problem, period. Is that a big deal? Does that matter at all? Well, I mean, you're a software engineer. Yeah, yeah. Like, does that matter? Well, actually, I have to admit, I didn't know about this problem at all. You know, I, I mean, I, I was not aware. Okay, I have actually my my degrees in electrical engineering, so I've actually learned um, software engineering later on in the in the work, my first early work. But I never came across those things, theoretical concept like that. But I was fascinated by by this, and yes, it is. Uh, I mean, blockchain in general solves. Uh, or is likely to be solving so many problems that are somewhat derived to this um, this claim that he's making. And and this is the concept of distributed consensus. Yes. Right. Yeah. And uh, just for the um, listeners, uh, the the concept, the general concept of the Byzantine general is how two attacking generals can coordinate an attack for a, a given time of a city. And if only uh, one general's attack, the, their force will be destroyed, so they need to synchronize the attack. Now, by sending a messenger, which it could be intercepted, killed, whatever, so therefore Falsified. the other general, yeah, and so the other general will not be able to, to know about the, uh, at the time of the attack, so they need a confirmation, but you need a confirmation of the confirmation of the confirmation of the confirmation. So it's actually interesting at you. Spin off your heads, like actually, you really need the confirmation constantly of uh, which the blockchain itself uh, indeed uh, would be in a mechanism in which uh, it would be able to solve it. This is a problem that has vexed computer science, particularly mm-hmm. computer networking, mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah. I mean, this is a uh, we, we need to have this canonical version of reality you could say and mm-hmm. when we're talking about information theory the blockchain really creates a new fact uh, in terms of information theory a fact that can't be edited can't be destroyed or altered like that fact exists mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. in that blockchain mm-hmm. and everybody agrees that yeah. that fact exists mm-hmm. I mean that's a yeah and it doesn't matter like what any particular individual might think about the fact. The mm-hmm. fact stands on its own, yeah. and it's mathematically provable, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what do we mean by that, mathematically provable, when we're talking about this applied financial cryptography? So what I really do to um, add to what you're saying is before any kind of problem like that, it was always uh, going back to a centralized point like um, trust for SSL securities and those certificates. The only thing that has been considered before is a trusted source. You go through there and then they'll be taking care of things. With uh, voting, you have to trust the authorities which you're voting for. That explains why things are weird. And uh, and the same thing uh, for everything else where needed some form centralized now suddenly you can decentralize and it will be information that is publicly available, just like you can look at the Mount Everest and everybody will agree on its shape by just looking at it. Everybody will, it's a public information that's accessible by anyone with a pair of eyes. Yeah, I mean, when, when somebody asserts that the skyscraper is X number of feet tall, yeah. I mean, you can get out the ruler and you can measure it. It yes. either is yes. or it isn't. Yes, that's right. So and it's very similar. Yeah, yeah I mean, so we, when blockchain we is the same thing. It will be a public information accessible to anyone. And this public information, it's at its very smallest unit. It's just zeros and ones, mm-hmm. right? This leads us to another just fascinating discussion. In this is on page two eighty one, 
uh, a post by Satoshi on August 27, 2010. As a thought experiment, imagine there was a base metal as scarce as gold, but with the following properties. One, boring gray in color. Two, not a good conductor of electricity. Three, not particularly strong, but not ductile or easily malleable either, and not useful for any practical or ornamental purpose. But it has one special magical property. It can be transported over a communications channel. Okay, so without getting like too far into that, what does he mean by that? It can be transported over a communications channel. Like, what is a communications channel to begin with? And what's that mean that we can transport this fictional commodity over that communications channel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I, the, what I like so much about Bitcoin is finally we have something that uh, can complement, not replace gold and silver, but complement. Because we always needed a, another uh, source of uh, a, actually a derivatives on gold and silver whenever we wanted to communicate them over a communication channel, being the internet or wire transfer, anything where at long distance requiring an electronic transfer. And I mean, way back in the day, like we were doing it over the uh, the railroad tracks, you know, 150 uh-huh. years ago, like that yeah. tap, 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 yeah. tap, tap. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, that's what I meant telegram. to send a wire, right? Yeah. Like in yeah. a telegram. So, yeah. I mean, these are communications yeah. channels. And it requires always a... Uh, derivatives and a trusted party and all that, a bank or something like that. Yeah, and what you mean by derivatives is uh, like if gold is the money, mm-hmm. then the gold certificate would be the money substitute. That's correct. Right? So that's the derivative yes. you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, yes. What are examples of communications channels? Well, uh, in our today today's world, uh, maybe in the future with Star Trek we'll have subspace channel, but for now <laughs> <laughs> we have a... Uh, the, uh, the internet, obviously, and uh, anything where uh, we have electronic forms. So, uh, I guess to answer my own question, I mean, we've got copper wires, and we've got electrical wires, and we've got uh, physical communication channels. Also, yeah. I mean, there's there's whole areas yeah. of OPSEC and COMSEC and MSEC. Uh, we got different forms of emissions that can be used as communications channels. I mean, all of these are different. Uh, well, I guess in MSEC, for example, there's a potential attack vector on a cold wallet. You could have the, the cell phone in your pocket that's using uh, the motion sensor, and it could actually derive like what keys you're typing into the mm. keyboard. Mm. So it would be wise just as part of your OPSEC to protect your MSEC uh, your operational security to protect your emanation security, which is a subsection of that, to just not have your cell phone in your pocket when you're accessing your cold wallet. Uh, mm-hmm. Because then there's not that potential recording of uh, data mm-hmm. uh, or information that, that happens there. And so when we're looking at these different communications channels and different ways that we can transmit information, because at its core, like Bitcoin is just information, just these ones and zeros. And so anything that we can transfer ones and zeros over could potentially become this communications channel that he's talking about. Yes. Right? Yeah. Kind of to finish up his post, he says, if it somehow acquired any value at all for whatever reason, then anyone wanting to transfer wealth over a long distance could buy some, transmit it, and have the recipient sell it. Maybe it could get an initial value circularly as you suggested by people foreseeing its potential usefulness for exchange. I would definitely want some. Maybe collectors, any random reason, could spark it. I think the traditional qualifications for money were written with the assumption that there are so many competing objects in the world that are scarce 
An object with the automatic bootstrap of intrinsic value will surely win out over those without intrinsic value. But if there were nothing in the world with intrinsic value that could be used as money, only scarce but no intrinsic value, I think people would still take up something. You know, we're talking about when Bitcoin crawled out of this primordial ooze and began being used as a form of currency in the very earliest of the days. Mm -hmm. uh, because we use different things for currency now, but they're like Hayek and Mises they all came up with this regression theorem mm -hmm. that traced back why we use our items for money. And they all had, had a previous use. You yeah. know, we traced yeah. them back to gold or uh -huh. salt or cows or whatever. But with Bitcoin, it didn't really have this prior use. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost as if the information age has inverted these particular yeah. theorems. You know, yes. we now have stuff that's being created as money and then we figure out applications for it as opposed to things that had applications mm -hmm. and then we decided to use it as money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty yeah. exciting, isn't it? Yes, yes it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, I went through the same kind of um, thoughts, you know, series of thoughts. When I heard those things, what Mrs. and all that, their, uh, their framework on the history of how money was com come up to being, and you look at uh, how things are with uh, Bitcoin, but it, it's really serving a major issue. It's like, how can we have something that is not, where we, there's a requirement for a third-party trust or a government money, there was a real need for this, a void, until now. Yeah, and I had actually uh, published a book in March of 2009, so about two months after Bitcoin came out, called The Great Credit Contraction, mm -hmm. explaining, talking about this massive problem that we've got in the financial system mm -hmm. and how it was actually very predictable. Mainly because mm -hmm. what has happened is we have corrupted the atomic unit of our entire financial structure, mm -hmm. you know, and if our atomic unit is no longer stable or even definable, yeah. then how in the world can we build anything mm -hmm. with that unit? For example, if our unit for measuring length, if one inch equaled one foot, which equaled a yard, which equaled undefinable... Would it be any surprise that when we're cutting boards or pouring cement or whatever to build skyscrapers, that they're just all lopsided and mm -hmm. fall over and mm -hmm. crash and hurt people? Yeah. And yet, under U.S. federal law, section 31 U.S.C. 5101 through 5118, we define under federal law that $1 is one ounce of silver, mm -hmm. that $50 is one ounce of gold, that's unintelligible because last time I checked, yeah. one ounce of gold did not equal 50 ounces of silver mm -hmm. on the periodic table. Yeah, yeah. And yet we've defined that yeah, by law. Yeah. You know, it's like saying that one foot equals 50 feet. Mm. I mean, it's just unintelligible. Yeah. And then we further complicate it because we've got nickels and pennies and quarters and dimes mm. and all these things that yeah. also equal dollars, but they've got zinc and copper and everything in them. Yeah. And then we've also got Federal Reserve notes, which are undefinable. Dr. Edwin Vieira, he has a PhD in chemistry, also a law degree, practices before the U.S. Supreme Court. All these degrees are from Harvard. He's got four Harvard degrees. And he's author of Pieces of Eight. He's actually raised the issue, what is a dollar? Mm -hmm. And his answer is, under federal law, it's unintelligible. Mm -hmm. There is no answer yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Self-recursive. Yeah, self-recursive, undefinable We've got Federal Reserve notes or dollars, but they're not defined as anything. 
we, we've got things that are nobody's liability, like gold and silver that are defined as dollars. Then we've got things that are the central bank's liability defined as dollars. And all of this introduces uh, chaos into the monetary mm-hmm. definitions. Yeah. The only thing that actually gives some form of stability in the dollar with this old system that is completely um, screwed up is the fact that the mass believes that it still has a strong foundation, even though it does not. And their price, they're getting paid in dollars. They have to pay taxes in dollars. Everything is so much. If suddenly you had just had one competing currency to the dollar, just, you know, and okay, now suddenly we, you're allowed to also use gold and silver. It would not take long before uh, the light, um, light bulbs uh, light up on all those people. Well, and that's really what Satoshi's getting at yeah. with Bitcoin, mm-hmm. isn't it? Uh, in the Genesis yeah. block. That's I mean, thing. he writes about it in the Genesis block, got, this uh, issue of counterparty risk. Yeah. We got the issue of uh, Cyprus bail-ins. And now I'm thinking it's like the next time we have a big one, even bigger bail-in that is, people will really realize that, well, okay, no matter how much bitching has been done, or even someone was bitching about Bitcoin, you realize that, well, when the banks are closed and ATMs just restricting $400 per day, suddenly Bitcoin looks very attractive. Well, and part of what makes Bitcoin so attractive is you know who actually has it. Yeah. Right. It's in yeah. it's allocated to yeah. a particular address yeah. in the Bitcoin network mm-hmm. that is agreed upon by mm-hmm. everybody. And there's this distributed consensus with Byzantine General's problem that everybody agrees that those Bitcoins are in that address. We don't know what's on mm-hmm. whose balance sheet. Yeah. And we don't know who owns what in our current system. We don't know what collateral has been mm-hmm. pledged and hypothecated and rehypothecated. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have these customer segregated funds that get pledged and yeah. then loaned and mm-hmm. John Corzine and MF mm-hmm. Global and Fannie yeah. Mae, Freddie Mac, Lehman Brothers, uh, Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, mm-hmm. like the list goes on yeah. and on yeah. and on. And, and we're not talking little because amounts. everything is closed up. Yeah, everything's closed up. There's not a centralized yeah. ledger yeah. that everybody agrees that yeah. that's who owns what. And at best, the books will be audited by a third party that you, you know, that you have to trust that third party. And that's at best. That's when actually they are audited. But I'm curious to know, uh, I've actually wrote an article on Bitcoin Magazine, not sure if you read it, um, where I was talking about a way to, um, so Bitcoin right now is what, eight or nine transactions per second, or what's the max, uh, maybe it can go all the way to 50 transactions per second. Yeah, but but like like you've talked about, Bitcoin's extensible. We can keep adding on and building out more uh, usefulness to it. We can, the... Right now, with the, the network and how things are, they uh, you know they see a difficulty if we go at that credit card level kind of thing. Right, of course. So okay, fine. But the uh, the article I was writing uh, that I wrote uh, made the point that if we actually used a Coinbase or other things, and actually they were using a separate uh, blockchain where they would be uh, taking care of Coinbase and uh, other uh, Bitstamp or whatever things, third party, then at least uh, they'll have a public ledger that is there, even though it's not decentralized. The beauty of it is that every night they will exchange to balance, just like banks were doing this before with gold. Uh, and then you will be able to see uh, exactly, okay, I have, uh, this is a Bitcoin I am supposed to have, 
and they have that amount of Bitcoin total and things like that. So they will be forced because at least the blockchain will be public ledger to uh, verify there's no fractional reserve banking. Yeah, or, or you can at least verify who owns what and know with absolute certainty mm-hmm. that those Bitcoins are in that address. Like, I don't necessarily think it's the fractional reserve banking that's the problem or even fiat currency. The problem gets much more to the heart of our property rights as we define them. And we've defined property rights mainly through legal code. But now with Bitcoin, we're able to lay down and define property rights with software code, with mathematical precision. Mm -hmm. And then we all have this distributed consensus that that is the property right that that's how it's currently allocated. And I think that that's a huge, huge innovation and potential application that we're able to make with this blockchain technology, in addition to the thousands of other applications that that this can be used for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I understand. Considering that um, you've got a background in law, uh, I'm sure that you see even more um, the profound... Oh, changes of that. I mean, anytime we need a canonical record mm-hmm. of something, yeah. whether yeah. it's the law, mm-hmm. whether it's titles to cars or yeah. houses or boats or airplanes yeah. or royalties yeah. or uh, copyrights or patents, everything. This way. Well, of course, it's more secure. Yeah. The proof of work yeah. that we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, with this Byzantine generals, this mm-hmm. proof of work innovation uh, that built on Adam Back's work with Hashcash. It is a whole new way of defining property rights. One of the uh, typical issues, like, okay, normally with property rights for house or land, it'll be at the courthouse or something. Why trust the courthouse's land? And then when there's a war in a given city or town or whatever that gets affected, it burns down. Whoops, the record. Now, uh, well, we don't know actually who owns what's the record for that spot of land. And everything gets uh, really chaotic after, you know, you've seen it in Portugal and whatever years. And now with the blockchain, no matter what kind of thing that happens, you still have this secured. Well, and it doesn't even have to be a war. We had the New York Attorney General coming in and we we asked him like what what are your big main pain points and he's like we get 2,000 calls a day with people who can't find the deeds to their houses (laughs) you're kidding me no I'm not (laughs) kidding you he's like He's like, it's an absolute nightmare. And we saw the problem during the financial crisis with MERS. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah, I mean, right. wouldn't it be nice right. to know exactly yeah. who yeah. owns mm-hmm. it, be able to publicly look it up and any encumbrances on mm-hmm. it? And not just with houses, but with mm-hmm. securities, with all the central counterparty mm-hmm. clearing that we're able to get rid of. You know, no DTCC, which got flooded during Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. We know exactly who would own yeah. and, and have encumbered any of these assets. Yeah. So this book... Hopefully, people can understand what Satoshi is talking about, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not yeah. just dolphins speak to them because yeah. <laughs> it's really, really complex, even though on its surface. And I've read the whole thing, even on the surface, you know, you think you understand it, but it is just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. in terms of the applications of yeah. this technology. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. We've had Phil Champagne, compiler of the collected writings of Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto. It's the Book of Satoshi, available at Amazon.com and plenty of other places. Uh, thanks for being with us, Phil. Thank you very much, Trace. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin Guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. 
Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.